All right. Well, um, okay. So the word I'm going to share with you today um, is is a picture that I see in Scripture um, that is one of the most profound pictures to see how God wants to use his church, and it's called the linking of generations, okay? Um, the linking of generations. Now, what is the linking of generations? Well, if you look at Scripture, it's a biblical pattern uh, that is an awesome picture about how God works through the generations in a strategic way. God wants to use uh, the older ones and seasoned. He wants to use the younger ones. And he wants there to be, like I heard somebody once call it a generational transfer. It's that blessing that goes from generation to generation, uh, young to old, old to young. There's a partnership in this dynamic uh, where God wants to do something fresh and then I, I want to just say something to, like, the young people were up here doing a wonderful job leading worship, and we're hearing testimonies. Listen, I f- firmly believe that in every generation, God has something fresh that he wants to speak and do through the emerging generation to reveal Jesus in a fresh way. So there's a creativity, and there's a word, and there's, there's something God wants to do new. And I believe that part of the linking of generations is creating an environment where that thing can come forth and be a blessing. And uh, um, a little while ago, I had the privilege of uh, sharing um, in our church um, on some different revivals that have happened in the history of the church. And we're going through different ones and looking at some of the trademarks of revival. And one of those things is that usually you will see in the revival that God is doing something fresh and new and, and in, in the emerging generation. Uh, and that begins to just spring forth and multiply. And there are those that are tuned into what God is doing. Hear me now. They see what God's doing and they get behind it and they support it from the other generations. And it impacts and changes history. Let me give you an example. One of those uh, revivals we studied was something called the Jesus People Movement. How many of you were either a part of that or have heard of the Jesus People Movement? Put your hands in the air, okay? I got saved as a nine-year-old kid in the Jesus People Movement in 1970. And um, it was an amazing time in history because if you study the Jesus People Movement, it did not happen out of one place. It happened out of an every place. It was kind of like spiritual popcorn. God was doing something fresh and original that we had not seen before in the United States of America quite like that. In fact, what God would, did with the uh, Jesus People Movement was so transformative and unexpected that it made the front of Time magazine. Because it, there, it, it was just so unbelievable. And what was happening is in the 60s, there had been a lot of despair. And there had been the, the, uh, the protests with the war. And there had been the riots in the universities. And, and the hippie movement was rising up. And the drug culture was, mo- uh, was multiplying. And it looked like the church was very ineffective 
uh, to be able to even combat this kind of stuff until the Spirit of God began to fall in the land. And all of a sudden, all these hippies and, uh, were coming alive in Jesus, and God started doing miracles. I mean, this is the truth. I was there. I saw some of this. I've, heard, I've talked to people who've been there that were part of what was going on. We saw things like people who were completely addicted to narcotics have the, the hands laid on them in prayer, and the Spirit of God comes upon them, and all the addiction leaves their body. How many of you guys would like to see God move like that today? Anybody? It was powerful. We saw crazy things that you just, you, you know, you can't, uh, you can't write the script for this stuff. We were part of a church over in the Tri-Cities that uh, uh, this church was having this impact with this youth. And there was actually a linking of generations with some seasoned older ones who were just pouring into these, these youth. And uh, they, they, the leader got a call from the police department and said, can you come down here? And he said, okay. And uh, they said, we just want to let you know that uh, we've had some undercover police in your movement thing, the thing that's going on with your meetings here because we thought you were a front for drug dealers. But we want you to know that we know that you're the real thing and we're supportive of you. In fact, when they had to rent their first building, the police department took up an offering to help them get into their first building. Does that sound like something Jesus could do? It's amazing what God did. And out of that stream of the Jesus movement, many things were birthed. Uh, we see many of the, like the Calvary Chapel denomination sprang forth there. The Vineyard, uh, Pastor Jack Hayford in the Foursquare down in Van Nuys, California. Uh, it was just a small work and it exploded in ministry and growth and became a voice to the nations that still is impacting even today. It was power. It transformed worship. It transformed everything, and it was amazing. But one of the things that happened, there were those that understood God was doing something in the generations, and they got in it. You know, sometimes as Americans, it's easy to just think, well, hey, that's a guy's group there. They do theirs, and the women's group there, and the youth there. And we do that at our church as well. That's a good thing. But can I tell you, the kingdom thing is a community thing that there's got to be places where there's a blending and we pick up a heart for things. You don't have to be a parent to have a heart for the generations. Amen? And so, so what happened during that Jesus movement, I remember hearing one story about Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, and his little church began exploding inside of size as all these hippies are getting saved and filled with the Spirit and changed, and they're coming into the church, and, you know, I mean, they're coming as hippies, you know, they're coming with the long hair, and they don't dress like the people in church did at that time, and barefoot, and, you know, and sometimes they use deodorant, maybe they don't always, you know. It was, you, you come as you are, right? And, there, and, and he had this one time after church where one of his leaders on the board came up to him and says, Pastor Chuck, we got to do something. These, these, these people are ruining the carpet. And he says, I'll take care of it. So the next week they came back to church and Pastor Chuck had ripped up all the carpet in the church. He said, we're going to make place for what Jesus wants to do in the generations. 
Linking of generations is being awakened to what God is doing. And it does not mean that the younger generation is better. In fact, there's a partnership together that is powerful. And, and it's one of the most potent weapons revealed in the Word of God. And I'm going to show you some stuff in a minute that just will bless you. But here's the thing. The enemy knows the power of generations where there's blessing. And he's afraid of it. And that's why the enemy works overtime to divide and fragment the generations so that instead of linking them to be a tool of blessing, they get twisted by the enemy to become a tool of wounding. That's not God's heart, church. And kingdom people who are alive in this understanding of that thing, it's a community that honors and all the ages and stages and releases life. It's a good thing. Because you know what? Our God is a generational God. You know, America's think about our individualism. And let me tell you something. Your relationship with Jesus is not just an individual faith. You must start there because we all got to become born again. There are no grandchildren in heaven, right? But true discipleship also happens in community. You know, a a follower of Jesus isn't going to be, it's just me and Jesus all alone. Okay? You need those places for that intimate friendship with God. But you, the true discipleship happens together. Jesus said to the disciples, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. While you're following me, we're going to do life together. We're going to eat together. We're going to minister together. We're going to laugh together. We're going to face the challenge together. And we're going to watch the tide turn together. That's what discipleship is. Isn't that great? There's something about that place of together. In, and our God is a generational God. Well, let me tell you something. At the birth of the nation of Israel, we see three generations. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was God's strategy. He's a generational God. At the birth of the church, as Peter is preaching to the crowds in Acts chapter 2, he preaches prophetically out of Joel about three generations. The young men, the old men, the sons, and the daughters. Read with me here as we look at this, Acts 2.17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. Don't you love? There's no gender confusion here of, of the fact that this is for everybody. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This isn't just for this group or that group. This is for everyone. And one of the trademarks of the end time revival is God's going to do something uh, in the generations. His desire is for every one of us. You know, there's a picture a friend of mine years ago shared on the linking of generations I loved. And he talked about an arrow. And he said, like, the, 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 the arrowhead is like the emerging generation. That God uh, puts something in the young generation to, to, to pierce the target, you know? And I believe, young people, that God wants to pour through you into our lives. That there's a word of the Lord that God is raising up in your life that we need. We are not complete without it. And we can partner together because the next part of that arrow is the the shaft area, which, of course, that's the parent generation, and they always get the shaft, right? But um, bum right. And then in the last part, 
you have where the, the feathers are. I actually had the word up here. Somebody gave it to me, and I lost it. But you have, that's the wisdom, the guidance. And together, you hit the target. Together, you hit the mark. You don't just have an arrowhead all by itself. It's not going to go very far. you got to launch this thing in the direction it needs to be in. And God wants to use us. Uh, and, and I love, one of the things I love about this church and the heritage here, and it was here when I was here at the beginning, and I see Pastor Lance and his team operating in it now, and that is there is such a love and respect for Jesus to multiply the gift in us We come from all different places to disciple people in their raw, green places and begin to believe for greater things. It's a beautiful thing. It's what happened in my life. I've seen it happen in others. And it it pours out a blessing because a generational perspective is powerful. it's It's a culture where you see beyond today and you see what could be emerging tomorrow. It's where for you parents, it's as you're praying for your child, you're beginning to see, as the Bible says, that you call forth the things that are not as though they are. You you get to know that person in their life and you begin to say, you know, God's got a dream for your life. And you begin to pray for that thing. You begin to believe for that thing. You begin to call it out of them. You begin to give them opportunities to grow in that thing. It's a powerful perspective. Psalm 78 speaks about that perspective of imparting into the next generation. Listen to this. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His powers his power and the wonders he has done, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Why did God command the fathers to teach the children that? Because he understood there was something that changes inside you when you hear what God did before. It actually builds faith in you. Did you know that? Scripture says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When we hear the testimonies like this morning about what God did, guess what? Our faith comes up, right? There's a a powerful thing that happens, and we begin to believe. And our testimony is something Satan is scared of. He doesn't want you to remember the God story in your life. Did you know that? It says in Revelation, we overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Think of your testimony like this javelin, like this sword, okay? So when we tell the next generation, hey, guys, guess what? We were stuck in this thing. We didn't know what to do, but we cried out to God, and look how he answered prayer over here. Do you know what happens? You start to have faith for the next thing you're facing. If God helped me there, he will help me in the next thing. So it says, so that he commanded us. This isn't just something suggested by God. This is a command. Let me ask you one more thing. Do you guys tell your God story at your house? Do you tell the story of where God's answered prayer? Or where God's come through? You know what? Wouldn't it be cool if in every family there was this 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 thing that we all kept, which was our spiritual history. Maybe it would be something we videotaped or we put on, we put in, you know, we transcribe, we put it in a book and we took time to share where did God show up before? You know, I have a few of my stories of my parents where God showed up. I wish I had captured more of them. But I'll tell you what, they sure do help me. 
So he commanded us to tell the next generation so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. They would put their trust in God. The result of this is they're going to trust God. How many of you guys want the emerging generation to trust God and to believe for great things? You know what my dad prayed for me? One of the best prayers you can pray for anybody in your life. Lord Jesus, take, Lord, he prayed for his kids. He said, I pray my kids go farther in God than I've ever gone. Isn't that awesome? I pray that over people all the time who, who God has raised up in our house and the different places. Lord, bless them. Just take them far. Bless them. And I, I raise the bar high. That's a lot higher than just saying, God, let them survive and not fall in the pit of sin. You know, it used to be, Lord, get them through high school without getting pregnant or on drugs, right? That's a small vision. You want to know what is a bigger vision? Is when they get absolutely blown away by the love of God. They've seen the miracle. They've tasted and seen themselves. When you've got a bigger yes on the inside of you, it's easier to say no to the other things. That's what we need to aim for. It's a powerful perspective when you live this way. Because the generation perspective reminds us to not despise the days of small beginnings. To not think small of what God can do in a child. I love what Pastor Lance says, the Jesus inside a child is just as big as the Jesus inside of you and me. That's exactly what this is about. I love that understanding uh, that God isn't just raising up people to be in children and youth and young adult ministry just to fill time so they can practice. In fact, to be honest with you, when, when you really look at how God sees this, we should be giving our very best to this. In fact, I have a feeling God may be calling some of you today to be a part of pouring into the next generations and serving in some new ways. It said, you know, I was looking at the Barna survey about people coming to the Lord, and basically 75% of those who give their life to Jesus do so under the age of 21. You know what that tells me? Sometimes we miss the mark as the church. Now, I know you're not like this here. I can hear you guys being about the generations all the time already, and you sure were back when I was here as well. But let me tell you something. This is the trap that we can fall into, is we can think, well, I just need my time for me in church. I just need all for me, me, and let someone else deal with the emerging generation, okay? Listen, you're either called to be a part of that or to support it or get behind it because I believe it's not an us or them thing. It's us all together, right? And if the harvest, there's a big harvest there, do you think God wants us just to send our leftovers to that? He wants us to give our best. He wants, you know, my daughter Kari is one of the pastors here. You know, and we poured into her as a, all her whole life. And we watched her learn how to hear God's voice as a little child. We watched her learn how to step out in things. And we just took the journey with Jesus together. And, you know, and she's kind of become this just wonderful young woman of God with great leadership. And we see it in, in our other kids as well. And, and, and God's good. There's a harvest there. You know, um, it, you guys remember the story about David when, uh, when Saul was going to, uh, 
or Saul, no, Samuel was going to anoint a new king. And he went to Jesse, David's dad, and said, hey, I'm going to anoint one of your sons to be king. So dad called all the sons to his house except for David. Now, how do you think that probably felt for David, right? This is the biggest moment in the history of your family, and he didn't have him come. And, and, and Samuel kept thinking, okay, this one's going to be the king because they'd bring out some strapping young man. And, and the Lord said, no. Man looks on the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And none of them were the right guys. And he said, is there anybody left? And his father said, well, there is the youngest, but, he's, but he called him the youngest. And he used a Hebrew word called hakatan, which means worthless. His nickname was Worthless One. Talk about having the enemy attack your identity, okay? That is not a good thing to bring blessing in the generations when you do that. So he was seen like that. But the Lord said, look, you see a Hakatan, but I see a shepherd king. I see something great. And, and, and so don't look on the outward appearance. And I'll tell you, I, I've been so blessed in my life and ministry. All our lives, my wife and I have had pr- the privilege of working with the emerging generation in different ways. And, I remember, and I've gotten to work with so many who, you know, when I started working with them, they just looked n- normal, and they were. And they were as flawed as any of us are. But I said, Lord, give me your eye to begin to see in faith what I can't see. And so I began to speak faith into these guys' lives. And sometimes it felt kind of foolish because I'd go, all right, Lord. But I watched God be faithful to his word. And, and he would take them from the beginnings that were very simple, like uh, some of you remember uh, Nate Boyd, who used to be a worship pastor here. Uh, Nate was one of our guys. He was a little sixth grader when I started with him over at Rainier Hills. And, and I remember I invited him to some stuff, and he was just kind of just this little nerdy little sixth grade boy, and he didn't know what he's doing. And we started pouring Jesus in him. We started doing adventures together. You see, that's how you do mentoring. You do life together. And we started doing ministry together. He just came alive, and God, I, I, I taught him how to be a worship leader. And when he started, he was really bad. I mean, really bad. But I saw past it, and I said, yes, God's made you a worshiper, son. You can do this. And I watched him rise up to be a great leader in our midst. He went off and helped Pastor Lance in Ording and then came and served here. And I just hung out with him and Corey just last week. It was so fun. I just love those guys. And just doing just stellar things for God. He came down and ministered in our church, preached, led worship with me. We just had a blast. But, but, you know, it's so funny. I, I, one of my leaders, Chad, who's, who pastors within our generation ministry, there, he's just a mighty man of God. But, he, but we're talking about things like people will look at some of the young leaders because we've launched uh, through our ministry through the years. And I give God the glory, but there's numbers of pastors and leaders and pillars that have come out. And, he, and, and Chad was just shaking his head. He says, people look at the leaders we have and they go, man, I wish we had someone here like that. He says, but they don't understand the cost of discipleship. They weren't here when we were dealing with the goofy things that were going on at the beginning, like uh, Lance Malone. He was part of this congregation for a while when he was at PLU. And uh, when he came to us, uh, Carissa, who you'll see in a minute, uh, he came to our church. He wasn't a Christian. He just heard from Carissa that she wouldn't date a guy who wouldn't go to church. So he said, all right, I'll go to church, right? And he wanted to come to one of our camps but he didn't show up till a day late because he, he had a hangover from the party the night before, right? And he didn't even know he'd done anything wrong. He's going, I don't get it, you know. 
And so we're, we're just working with him. He got in God's presence. He started worshiping God. And the presence of God is like, what is this? And I said, that's the presence of the Lord. He became a worshiper, and, and he became an evangelist and a discipler. And now we, we blessed him and his beautiful wife, Maria, who is also part of our church, to go out. And they're the worship pastors at Sweet Life Foursquare Church in Walla Walla. It's a church plant that happened about three or four years ago with Grant and Marta Crichton. Okay? But... But Chad was said, they never saw the beginning when it didn't look so good. But we poured in and we had faith. Listen, how many of you guys are ready to get in the harvest field and say, let's pour into lives. Let's begin to believe. Let's not despise the days of small beginnings. You see, man sees with the outward eyes, but God looks at the heart. I want to tell you what, Puget Sound, Foursquare, you all have a beautiful history of this kind of faith. But guess what? I don't think Jesus is done. And it's God wants to make you hungry for what is next. I don't think you've seen the fullness of what God wants to do. But I feel like this linking a generation's word is one of those things that says, come on, don't just live in your little segmented life. You are part of a community. God wants to raise up a movement here that will change history. Another thing that... uh, we talk about a lot in, our, in, in this life word of mine of the linking of generations is the spiritual capacity of children and youth. goes right along with what Pastor Lance says around here. And these are things like in the spiritual capacity of children and youth, well, how old do you have to be to hear God's voice? Well, Samuel was just a little guy in the temple of the Lord when he began to prophesy the word of the Lord. John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. Esther was a teenage girl who stood up for her generation and saved them from death. David was the Hakatan, who God says, no, 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 you're the shepherd king. And, and, and the thing is, the spiritual capacity of children and youth mean you all got to do life together. And I talked about how you get to do life in a way where you get to have a story that God writes in your life where he shows up. But that means you can't live in a controlled environment. Sometimes I think church can be deceptive if you think all church is is what we do in this room. Okay, That's not what church is. Okay, Church is, is, is the people being released and coming back. And it's something that happens like the inhale and the exhale. But let me tell you, in this room, it's a controlled environment. We got beautiful lighting, beautiful setting, nice temperature. We got a good sound system. Hey, we're looking good. But when you go out and live real life, that's where you face things that are tough. And I heard someone once say, a leader is one who just learns in front of others. Okay? And, and I, I feel like one of the things that can happen is that if we want God to break the barrier in the generation and cause that fresh thing to raise up, then it means that we got to be willing to uh, live in an uncomfortable place. Like, it probably wasn't really comfortable for the families of Israel to be standing at the Red Sea with the armies of Egypt behind them and no way out. And the kids watched mom and dad go through the test of faith, and they were tested together. But then the kids with the parents watched God answer the prayer with something they never expected, and it absolutely blew them away. They saw a miracle. 
you know, when my daughter Kari and, uh, was 12 and her sister Allie was 9, we went down to Mexico uh, from Rainer Hills with a group uh, to work with a ministry there that was trying to win a neighborhood for Jesus. And the way they were doing that was to build those little houses um, and renovate this neighborhood that was in just some of the biggest poverty. And so we had this great team we were working with together, and we were getting ready to go. And it was interesting because in the team, um, as we were moving towards the outreach, everybody on the team started getting depressed. Everybody, it was like all of your faith was just sucked out of you. And interesting enough, we were hitting a point where we were needing to have the funds in to buy the plane tickets, but it was like nobody could get any money. And it was like, you know, and so as a leader, I like the controlled environment where it all looks good and I sound good, right? I mean, come on. I like looking good, right? But... I was in this position going, oh, Lord Jesus, I'm going to lead them to something that's going to fail. What are we going to do? So man of faith that I am, I got a bunch of my leaders together and says, okay, guys, what's God saying? Should we do another kind of team? In other words, I was ready to shut it all down. But we prayed. And the Lord said, no, no, that's not what's going on here. And God wants you to do it. And there were all these words. I said, all right, Lord, here we go. And I remember we went into this weekend of training, and my daughter, Kari, came up to me in tears and says, Dad, I don't think I'm supposed to go. And I said, honey, hold steady. We're going to see what the Lord will do. And we got into a worship time with our team. And I remember the Holy Spirit just gave me a word that I, I just, all of a sudden the lights came on, and I could see it all as clear as day. And I, I, and I spoke to the team, and I said, guys, we are going down into a dark place with a lot of poverty And they are facing all kinds of things. And guess what? The Lord is allowing us to experience all those things that they're facing. Depression, oppression, uh, challenge with finances and all that stuff. But But I said, Jesus wants to break that barrier. And so we began to worship and pray. And the Lord showed me that we were to move in the opposite spirit. Because Jesus moves in the opposite spirit. He says, love your enemies. He says, uh, give and you shall receive. And the Lord said to me, he said, what I want you to do right now is I want you to have everybody in the team pray about who they're supposed to give money to. And they're going to sow a seed. And when they sow, so we all prayed. And as we did that, it was an amazing thing that happened. It was like all of a sudden the oppression broke off. All of a sudden God began to bless. And within a week, we had double what we needed for the plane tickets. And nobody was missing. And that ministry that summer, as we began in that neighborhood, people started getting saved. And as the last team came in there, that entire neighborhood had been saved. But we had to be a part of learning in front of one another. You see, God wants to ruin you for the ordinary. When you experience the miraculous, you have faith for things that you never have before. God wants to lead you into a proven knowledge of God, where the reality of who He is becomes more than just what you have just heard about in theory. Sometimes Sunday school and church can be so sterile if you don't ever encounter the reality. You need both, right? You need, come here, Carissa. This is one of Kari's friends uh, who... Uh, is a leader in our church now, but I want her to share a short testimony about a time when God moved from being a theory into the reality. Because this is such a perfect illustration. It just changed her life as a teenage young woman. Carissa, go ahead and share. So I was invited to come to this camp, um, and I didn't know anybody there. Um, so I was kind of there not really knowing what I was getting into. Um, 
But on one of the nights they were sharing and they had us all come up um, and they were talking about how God wanted to come into all of the areas of our life, not just the parts that are together. Um, and he wanted to touch the brokenness. And um, I kind of went up and I was like, all right, God, because of stuff in my past and because of trauma I had gone through, I had a really distorted view of who he was and who I was. And um, I went up and I was like, all right, God, if you're real and you really love me and all these things, I need to know a couple things. So I listed out a couple things to him that um, I wanted some answers on. And a lady came up behind me and answered those in the exact order. I asked the Lord and I was like, he's real and he loves me and it's so good. Um, and so it was just a real powerful time where my faith just came alive. And then also just for the cherry on top, um, I was actually struggling with an eating disorder at that point and no one knew about it. And this lady started speaking to that thing and it just got broken off of me. And it was just an incredible time where his love became so tangible and real. And it just ignited my faith. And, um, yeah, it was just a milestone for me. Isn't that beautiful? Proven knowledge of God. You see, that's what we need to press in for and say, God, what do you want to do next? I'm going to give one last scripture to you. Because when the generations link, there is a blessing. And this verse is out of the last two verses of the Old Testament. It says, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dearthful day of the Lord. What is this speaking about? This is speaking about the culmination of the age. This is talking about Jesus returning. And then it says, He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now you hear the word curse and you go, well, that's not a very happy word. Why are we, that's not something I would put on my refrigerator, okay? But what is that really about? Well, he says, I'm going to turn fathers to children, children to fathers. That's a healing of the generations. That's a linking. God says in the last days, I want to do something generationally. And I believe the opposite of the curse is true. When that happens... There's a blessing on the land. Some of you, you guys live with a curse that has haunted the family forever. And God says, you could be a part of the blessing. You could be a part of turning the generations. What if God is getting ready to do something brand new at Puget Sound Foursquare in the generations? And what if he wants you to be a part of it? Where does that leave us today? You know, I believe God wants us to stir up in this vision. For some, this is new. Some, it's re being renewed. But I believe God wants to impart a generational blessing. And, I, you know, when I came into this house, I was a son, and I became a father here. And today I'm coming back to speak as a grandfather. I believe there's some significance there. That God says, wake up. There's a bigger plan. It's bigger than you, and it's in the community here. Would you stand with me? Lord, we want to thank you that you have a vision.